gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, Bob. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Hi, this is the 300th episode of a podcast called the Hall of Justice. Welcome. Sorry, it took a little bit longer to produce this, but uh, it was worth it. Listen. If I ever thought this podcast would have 300 episodes, I'd be shocked. Come on. It's the podcast that nobody thought would be possible. You know, and when we hit Milestone Podcasts, I try to do something special. You know, the 100th episode of the Hall of Justice, I look back, uh, Victor Dandridge, who has been such a vital role to the beginning of this show, uh, he and I met up at New York Comic Con uh, and we recorded a 100th episode. The 200th episode was a really highly produced project. It was a docu-style podcast where we put together maybe 60 to 90 seconds of 40 or so guests. I didn't want to do that again. So when it came to episode 300, I reached out to all the contacts I had and I just said, somebody special. It didn't have to be somebody with a million followers. It didn't have to be something controversial, didn't have to make headlines. I didn't need that. It was just I wanted someone special. And we have somebody special. This gentleman has over 200 acting credits. You include voice acting and video games. It's close to 300. He's been in things you know and stuff in this genre. He's Jackie Childs from Seinfeld. He's John Jones on Smallville. He's Silas Stone on Doom Patrol. He was Vandal Savage in the Justice League cartoon. He's General Zod in the new episodes of the Young Justice cartoon. He was on Cheers. He was on Knight Rider. And I want to send a special shout out to Gary Mariano, who literally came up and he answered the call. I reached out to so many people for the 300th episode. I just wanted it to be somebody great. And it's funny because some of the other people that we were trying for 300 they're going to be coming on future episodes of the podcast, and that's going to be fantastic. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, kids, adults, anyone who listens to this podcast or has listened for the past 299 episodes, I bring you Phil Morris. Where do we begin with Phil Morris? <laughs> Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. This is what I meant by having a 300th episode. Oh, brother, it's so great to be here. What a what a what an entree. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot on that IMDb page. Yes, you, you've My only goodness. read maybe one one millionth of it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, and I want to stay for for at least the attempt. I, we're going to try to cover things that are in the genre. I will neglect something. So. On social media, just go at Phil. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Go at Phil. Hey, I got a good lawyer. Come on, bring it. <laughs> yeah. You know a good lawyer. You I were a good lawyer. I am a good lawyer. <laughs> you want to start there? We can we, we can get that cat out of the bag. No, no. Let's get in the genre, baby. Let's get in Okay, the let's do genre stuff. We'll get to Seinfeld at the end. I, okay. But I do want to say I have this idea for an episode of Star Trek, of any episode of Star Trek. Mm. where all the characters that you played on the various series meet each other. You could put it in continuity. It would be the people's brains would be fried. How many Star Trek series have you been in? And could you literally, technically, they're all in the same continuity? Yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, it's so weird. Um, I, d you know, I played in the original Star Trek, the episode called Miri with Michael J. Pollard and Kim Darby. And that show was really stunt casted because my father's Greg Morris from the original Mission Impossible series, which right, was shooting right, right. on the lot the same time that Star Trek, the original, was shooting. And so 
the producers wanted kids in this episode, but they didn't want actor kids. They didn't want all actor kids, but they wanted kids who understood how to handle themselves on a set and who better uh, yeah, than yeah. actors, kids right. who know the deal, know how to shut up when action is called. They have a sense of what it, things that are going on. And if you look at any of the stills of me from that time, I don't know what the hell's going on. I mean, I am eight years old, seven years old, whatever it is. And I, I mean, literally my, ah, huh? What? Move here, go there. Sure. Why not? Uh, my sister was in it. Iona, um, Martin Landau, Barbara Baines, kids were in it. Peter Graves, kids were in it. William Shatner's kids were in it. Um, Vince McAvity, who was the director's kids were in it. Um, awesome. Oh, dude, it was awesome. I became but every really time they called you for a later Star Trek series, did you say, hey, I'm in the original series? Like, that's where I would think one of these creatives, because you know how creative these the, the writers today, the, the, the showrunners today, like, could they imagine dressing you up in all these different costumes? You, you were in Generations, you were in Next Generation, you were in the original show. Have them all meet. I, 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 that would be interesting. I mean, I think it would be the ultimate Easter egg, right? I mean, these guys... Uh, from i was just trying to see if you could get on your sag card because you playing all those different roles yeah maybe you, you could get some extra scratch for that yeah, well I, anytime yeah bring it <laughs> I, I need a job <laughs> we all need jobs we all need a job baby um so i'm no different I, i've had a lot of them but i could use more i understand <laughs> sam jackson is yourself those 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 dudes never stop working i want to be one of them <laughs> <laughs> I saw an interview with Idris Elba. He was on that uh, show, The Shop. Uh, you know, yeah, the, yeah, LeBron, LeBron James. Yeah, yeah, and he um, he said he never wants to stop acting. He he just wants to do it for as long as he can. I I would imagine that if you love it, you don't ever want to stop. It's so fun. You just mentioned just this part of my career, which is all these Star Trek iterations. Yeah, yeah. All I do is play. Right. The only thing I I do in my life is play. I mean, that's why they call them plays, screenplays, and teleplays. We play. And so doing Star Trek, doing Mission Impossible, the new Mission Impossible that I did, doing Young Justice, doing Smallville, doing uh, uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles uh, as Miles Dyson. Mm -hmm. Those things are all, I it's see all the books. on my you. list. Oh, my God. I know. It's insane. Uh, I see all the books behind you. I have 20,000 comic book issues, individual issues, 20,000 of them. And I have a bunch of those graphic novels and stuff, too. But I have more issues than I have graphic novels. Listen, I'm only saying that because I'm rank and file. I'm rank and file. I'm the dude that I'm trying to impress whenever I do these shows. Right. Right. So it's so much fun for me because I've been learning and listening and studying comic books and comic book history and the genre for my whole life. So now I get a chance to use it. I get paid for it. Yeah. I get to talk to cool guys like you about it. That's right. Come on now. <laughs> um, all right, let's, let's go do a deep dive then. Uh, you just mentioned Young Justice. Uh, you played Zod. Um, <laughs> It's a fascinating uh, uh, role because you meet Zod in the Phantom Zone and you don't know that at first it's revealed. And, you know, we had Greg Wright Weissman on the on the show a bunch of months ago. And all he said was young justice keeps outdoing itself. It just keeps improving. There is nothing kitty about that. Oh, no, no, no. It is. It is hardly young justice. It's more like evolved justice. Uh and I was honored to have them. I've worked for them a couple of times on, on various shows. Uh, I played the Blue Lantern uh, in Green Lantern, the animated series. Yep. And I've, done some, I've done, done some stuff um, with those guys. And they're absolutely amazing. They brought me in for this arc. Um, I did not know that they had planned to use me as Zod and Lor Zod for the entire run of that arc until I got to the recording session. Oh, wow. No, it was amazing. And then they tried to tell me about the universe, right? And I told them, stop. I don't waste time. Let's test drive these voices because I know the fourth world omnibus. I've got it here. I know, I know all of this universe. Don't waste your time. They were speechless. I said, look, I've, I've worked with you guys a couple of times and you know, I tell you that I have these you, you don't believe me. I'm telling you, I know this. And they were just like, oh, we can't believe it. Oh my God, an actor knows the history. Yeah. They, know the they know the canon. Oh my God. So I, I love those cats and I would work with them anytime they call. It is, it's like Star Trek. The writing is brilliant. The actors are wonderful. And so when you marry those two, you get shows like Young Justice. You get shows like Smallville. I mean, you get shows like Doom Patrol. And I've been really, really fortunate, man. This has been a wonderful ride. I'm sure. Well, you make an interesting point. And it's something that we've talked about on this podcast a lot because it happens when, when the alternative happens, which is you can tell 
in this modern time, when the creators of a certain comic book style entity are fans, mm. uh, let me give you a case in point. You know, John Favreau loves Star Wars, loves it, like loves it. And you can tell when you see this property that it was made with the same adjuration for anyone mm. listening to this right now. Mm, mm, mm. And you can also, and so what I meant by the alternative is you can tell, and I'm not asking you to call anybody out, but you can tell when items are just cashing a check. You know, there was a, there was a time and you were working during this time, you were, you were coming up in the, in the industry when it wasn't cool to be in this genre. And so a lot of the writers, even Richard Donner, uh, as great a film as Superman is, that's not an interpretation of the comic book because the comic books were for kids. They had to make an adult movie. Mm. And this idea that now you're getting young justice from people who grew up with the super friends and they love this stuff. You can see it in their work. I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Absolutely, you can smell it. The Russo brothers love the Marvel universe. Right. They love Great it. Example. I mean, I mean, it's it's every film they make is an homage to obviously what influenced them growing up. This is the same with me. Uh, I, I, like, for example, auditioning for John Jones, right? Okay. Martian Manhunter. When yeah. I walked into that audition, I just felt like I had a leg up on everybody. Because I love the genre, I have uh, John Jones comics. I have I have uh, DC Showcase, which is really what where he began. I have those books, so I, I am I am I'm the example of what you're talking about. I'm the person who loves this genre so much. I don't want to get it wrong. I want to make people like you proud. I want to make people who watch the Star Treks and and uh, get the Star Wars game that I'm in want me to be a part of that universe and not think that I'm. I'm, I'm a one-off, you know, and the, the creators like the Russo brothers, the creators like a John Favreau, those people who absolutely are in love with those properties and those franchises, you can tell. Um, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but I will say that the, the Zack Snyder Justice League is so much better than the original, right. Right. so much better than the original. And perhaps there was something going on there because we see how much strife was on that set with that with the director that they brought in because you know Zach had a horrible tragedy happen. Yep. And that guy that, he he went off the reservation. I mean, he was off the rails. He, I don't know what that movie was. You hear the reports from the actors who were on the set and how terrible that person was to them. And the product shows. It shows in the product. It just does. Well, when mm -hmm. Henry Cavill's saying he wishes he was dead, Come on, that dude's uh, was, awesome. Was like, uh, I mean, Come on now. What did you like about it? The unabashed nature of it. Okay. I didn't mind Zod getting killed. Here's why. That, that, didn't, bother, that didn't bother me. What bothers me is Lois uh, finds out uh, that there's an, this alien and within six hours, she's on a spaceship. Yeah, it, that's a it's, little- it, it, it's, it's rushed and it uh. felt very military. And I also didn't like the scene where he lets the father die, Kevin Costner die. Superman would not do that. Is he Superman yet? Doesn't or matter. Is he still Clark? He, he, well, I have to push back no. because he is beholding to who? Jonathan Kent. That's his father. That's the guy who gave him his moral compass, not Jorel. Not, not, understood. Not, okay. He, so his moral he compass. Can find a way to wait, not wait, reveal wait, wait, himself. Wait. He, is, he is taking his cue. From the man who taught him about cues. Yeah. So he makes a mistake there, maybe. But I don't have a problem with it because as the father of a son and the son of a father, mm -hmm. and I played in the new Mission Impossible. So <laughs> I heard my father tell me how much better his show was than mine. <laughs> he walked out of Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible. You know, he's a strong dude. I followed that dude to, to the death. So anyway, I, I don't have a problem with that. I've heard that before because there is a, there is a filial piety uh, element in that mm -hmm. that none of us personally understand unless it's you. Well, unless to, it's me, to me, Man of Steel was rushed in the sense that he doesn't get a moment to breathe. And because of that, it, he never saves a cat out of a tree because he's, he's going immediately into this highly militarized scenario 
So you don't, you don't root for him. You don't, you know, and, and it was funny because when Zach came on the podcast, I didn't debate man of steel with him. He was promoting uh, Batman V Superman at the time. And all I said then, and I wanted to get your comment then, and this is what went viral uh, when, when he came on the podcast is all I said to him was no one's on the fence. No one says eh, man of steel's okay. People either really like it or they really can't stand it. No one is just casually said, Oh, that's <laughs> a movie. It's on. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it. And that's when he ripped Superman fans. My, my idea though, is it's a polarized, like everything Zack Snyder touches gets a massive reaction, whether it's positive or negative, nothing casual ever. There's no such thing as a casual Zack Snyder fan. I like that. I like it. I like it. I, people should have an opinion. You shouldn't be even making films or, and it just took me a long time as an actor or performing for others. You, you perform for your character and the given reality. It's not even for me. Right. It's for them. And so when you do that, there is a visceral response that anybody's going to have to your performance. Like Jackie Chow's. Jackie Chow's on Seinfeld. You can't have enough. He's not casual. He's not innocuous. This right. dude is full on. So I want people to have a strong reaction to him. I want them to come away either laughing their asses off or think, well, this dude's just an ambulance chaser. One or the other. I can't handle boredom. I can't handle neutrality when it comes to art. Right. Apathy. Right. You don't want apathy. Absolutely. You referenced a couple of times Smallville. Let's let's talk about it. What was your thought on what they were trying to do with Smallville and how the timing, you know, my, my thought on, on Smallville has always been the timing could not have been better for that show. You know, it, it premieres a month after 9-11 and we needed a hero and we needed a, an escape. We didn't need the costume. We needed what Tom Welling brought to the show. You know, you already mentioned that you are a comic book person, so I can't really ask you, you know, who is John Jones? We know who John Jones is, but ironically, the Justice League cartoon was on simultaneously. What did you bring to Smallville? And what were your impressions of the show, both before and then once you were on it? Uh, a couple of things. One is I thought Smallville was brilliant because it did not rely on just comic book fans. They brought in the young women. They brought in people who were into uh, teen relationships. Uh, the whole Lana Clark Lex uh, uh, triangle thing was brilliant, brilliant because it couldn't sustain itself in network TV just off comic book fans. So I love that they brought in an entire audience uh, that wasn't necessarily a comic book audience. And that made the show much more dimensional to me. Um, even though some of it I thought was a little uh, saccharine, um, okay. I thought I thought it worked for the show. Right. Um, it's also I, network TV at the time. Exactly, you got like if Smallville's boxes. created now, it's on a streaming service. Uh, exactly, and 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 you're probably going to see him in the suit quicker. Right. Um, for me, for John Jones, I was just blown away that they would choose an African American to play John Jones. Here's why. I think it's the perfect thing to choose because of all the people in this country who feel displaced in their own country might be the African-American, right? Hmm. And that's what John Jones feels on earth. You know, he's displaced, you know, even though he can look like anybody and he can be anything, um, he chooses to be an African-American because he relates. He relates. This was my choice, my history, my background. And I talked to Al about this a little bit. And I said, Al Goff, guys, right? Yeah, Al, Al Goff. Yeah. I said, did you guys choose this? Uh, character like this consciously and they were like did you do it for this reason and i told him the reasons i'm telling you that i made up he goes oh no but when i have a press conference i'm going to use your reasons <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's how i that was going <laughs> yeah similar to how they changed nick fury to look like sam jackson um right right in the it, comics it, too right in the comics that's what i mean um that that was done um before they even hired sam right they wanted sam um, you see, I know my, I know, I know man. I, I'm amazed. I know my, anyway. I know. Um, yeah. I have to have you on again to just like review She-Hulk or something. <laughs> yeah, moon now I feel bad because the guy who's scheduled to review She-Hulk is going to be like, wait a minute. I was supposed to do that show. I'm up next. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what the question was, but yeah. Um, this, John Jones well, was. You know, so you had all this this comic book knowledge and 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 you bring to that. What about what about Tom Welling? Um, oh, and, my dude. And what, you know, 
Tom, I got a chance to meet Tom at a, at a Comic-Con right before COVID. Mm. And uh, what it feels like is Tom was very reluctant to talk about Superman. Like he, he just wasn't a massive fan of the character. And it, it shows what acting is. I mean, because you would never know that. And I think now he has embraced his role as Clark Kent. I think during the pandemic, that's changed. Because when I met him in 2019, he was very reluctant. Like we, we were talking about specific episodes and he was just like, yeah, I, I, what, what's your takeaway from that? Oh, it was a nice day that day. Or, you know, <laughs> like he loved the relationships with his co-stars and the director. Like he, he was a gem of a person. But I think only now is he starting to embrace the whole, I was Clark Kent gravitas. I think you're right. And uh, at the time when I would do conventions and I'd go to the convention, he'd say, please let them know that I'm here working to do the show for them. I'm not there because that to me right now is not, that's not my, my business. My business is this right here. So he was very clear with that with me. He was also very clear when I got there that he didn't know anything about the DC universe. Yeah. He was not a big fan, as you say, of the DC universe. He wasn't a big comic book fan, if a comic book fan at all. Um, Again, and that shows evolution, right? Because he has come to that universe and has great respect for it. And I think the fans have shown him such love that it's very difficult for you to turn your back on the storyteller audience portion of the program. Yeah. And the audience is everything to a storyteller. And that's what we are. Um, I think that now after time has gone by, it's kind of like the Henry Winkler Fonz effect. He, he, he appreciates that character. He appreciates the, the depth of, of resonance that it has with his audience. And Were you on that too? I was not on that, but I did audition <laughs> for it. Did you anyway, really? <laughs> um, <laughs> I got so many stories. So. Anyway, Tom is a lovely cat. He learned more about his craft of acting. He became a director and a producer on that. He stayed the entire 10 years, didn't bitch and moan, didn't say, I want to go, didn't have, we never heard him have uh, salary disputes or anything like that. Um, he, you're right. He's a gem of a guy. And I think now is a wonderful chapter for him to look back and reflect on how wonderful that time in his life was. And he's doing that with Michael Rosenbaum on their podcast. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a neat listen. It's 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 really fun. Michael came on uh, and Tom uh, both have been on this this show. And uh, I, it just it's fun to hear them talking about it back. You know, it, it's almost like it, it feels like just by listening to their podcast that Tom's watching these episodes for the first time. In I know way, he's yeah. not, but. He's watching them differently now. That's probably more the case. Yeah. yeah, differently. And I met Michael. I met Michael on the flight. I was going up to do a show in Canada. My, this guy's next to me. I'm reading the trades. This guy's just a wackadoo, man. He's just talk, 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 talk. Never seen before. Never, never. He's like, he's like can, I, can I read your trades? Can I read your trades? I'm like, yeah, yeah take them. Yeah. He goes, oh, man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What are you going to Canada for? I'm like, I'm going up for this show. He goes, ah, uh, oh, yeah, I just got this show, Smallville. And I just read about it. I said, oh, yeah, I read about that. Yeah, he goes, yeah. I play Lex Luthor. And I'm like, oh, great. He goes, I get to drive a Porsche. I go, that's awesome. <laughs> he goes, you know, Lex Luthor, he just, he just starts talking to me. You know, Lex Luthor has a shaved head. I go, yeah. He goes, I've never had a bald head before. I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> he had a full head of hair. <laughs> he goes, I'm just going up there. I don't know how long this is going to last. Boy, oh, boy, I'm excited. That was Michael Rosenbaum, the first time I ever met him. <laughs> a live wire of freaking yeah. party on legs and i i just love the guy love that cat uh for those of you listening um uh michael rosenbaum is episode 228 i said that we're gonna hit these milestones uh every two years so you might have to come back for 400 i'm willing more than yeah, happy to deal uh, mm -hmm. all right book it now um <laughs> around the same time around the same time as smallville you worked on justice league you were vandal savage mm -hmm. Um, there's that great episode where they think Superman died and I love that they didn't kill him, you know, but they, they kind of pretend and get that, you know, what that feels like. There's a great scene at that memorial, uh, where, you know, Batman, you know, speaks to what he finally starts to believe that he, he's gone. And it's a really emotional scene. Kevin Conroy has been on the show, uh, talking about that, but Vandal Savage was a unique role because he wasn't just a bad guy. He was he, it was at the end of time and he befriends Superman and what a fascinating idea. Did, did, how did you get that? And what was that like? 
I, well, I feel like that's all I'm asking you. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, you know, I, shoot, man, we could talk about this forever. What was Jerry I, I, Seinfeld um, like? <laughs> um, very average, actually. But um, <laughs> the, uh, Andrea Romano cast, cast huh? me as Vandal Savage. The great Andrea Romano. Andrea Romano is the greatest, if not one of the, if not the greatest vocal director that uh, animation has seen. Okay. She is fabulous. She was an actress, so she really gets actors. Or an act. She was an actor. I keep saying actress because I'm 100 years old. She was an actor and uh, uh, really loves actors and really has the right words, the right approach, the right um For those of you who attack. didn't know, she's been on when we did the tribute to Ed Asner. She came mm, on. Mm, mm. Well, so then they, hi they hired me as Vandal, and uh, um, I was more than well aware of Vandal Savage. To me, he's just a smooth criminal, you know, and... Um, I, I was happy to play him. What I liked about him was that he's not a scene chewer. You know, he's uh, he, he doesn't need to be. You know, he's seen it all. He's done it all. Been there, been there, done that. He's got every T-shirt and mug that you could get. Um, and so that's how I played. Kind of world weary. Kind of like I'm tired. You know, I'm tired of being this immortal. And in the episode that you're referencing, that came into full effect. Vandal wants to be done. I mean, he wants yeah. this journey to be over. And he's with his nemesis, but they start to befriend each other yeah. and come together. And it shows that the disparity that we may have between individuals when required, when necessary. Were you with George Newbern when you recorded that? Nope. No. All myself. I've become very good friends with George Newbern since. Yeah, yeah. Um, wait a minute. Did we record that together? Well, back then they were doing great Yes, we things. did. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did at uh, Warner Brothers Ranch. Um, we were in the same room. Yeah. Um, now, nowadays, they don't do any of that. Everybody's no, alone. No. Yeah. We're all segmented. Um, and George and I become good friends. We did a, a, a Christmas movie together. But I'm telling you, we're talking about this genre. That episode's a perfect example of how of adult, how mature yeah. this genre really is, and the kinds of themes that they deal with. Um, yes, we're dealing with superpowered beings and super incredible circumstances, but every one of them at their core is a human being. And the writers, to much to their credit, and the producers, that's what they hang their hat on. They hang their hat on the humanity and the compassion of these characters, as opposed to the bells and whistles. And that's one of the episodes that shows that. Well, you know, I've told this story on the podcast before, but uh, I used to read, I, I got into comics uh, in college. I was sent to cover, I'm a little younger than you. Uh, I, uh, it was sent to cover the death of Superman in 1992 for the campus TV station. It was a, it was an opportunity to do a package, you know, and, and get into broadcast journalism. And when I went there, I was amazed by every person that was online to get Superman 75 was 30 plus. And I was like, what, 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 what am I doing? Where are the kids? And that's when I started, I went back afterwards and I, I remember driving myself there and I saw uh, Hal Jordan go bananas. And I went, wow, this is for me. Like, this is my demographic. Like, you're targeting me. I was 18. You know, Batman the Animated Series had just come out. I've told the story before. We used to get high and watch it at midnight. We would VHS record it and watch it in the dorm. And and it wasn't just like a group of like nerds that did it. It was like the whole dorm would watch this show the girls, the guys, like everyone was into this yeah. back, back then. You know, that that's that's my introduction to comic books. Mm. Um, you know, I was always a big cartoon person. I was a Transformers He-Man person, but comic books were college. And I would read Wizard Magazine. And I'll mm. see, I'll show you how this parallels. When Superman, the animated series came out, so that predates Justice League, they powered him down. And Bruce Tim says in this interview, he says, Superman's too powerful, and the only way to uh, give him, you know, any kind of of drama <coughs> is to make the stakes high. Mm. And what he says, in essence, is writing Superman is really hard. That's 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 his quote. It's just really hard. To which I said, "Good. I want it to be hard because then, when you get stories like whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow." You know that that was hard. It's the same thing like uh, there's too many strikeouts in baseball today. So that, you know, if you go back, Nolan Ryan, when he had his strikeout record, they were actually trying to get a hit, not just swing and, and, and miss. So 
I think Nolan Ryan's strikeouts are more valuable than the current ones. Like anybody who gets a strikeout record now, big deal. Everybody's swinging and missing. They're flailing at the at the yeah, point. man. Everybody's going for the fences, trying to go yard. So, so this idea that writing Superman is hard—that's why. To your point about Man of Steel, like it's okay that I didn't. That's not my favorite movie mm-hmm. because it's hard. And so when you see a great Superman property like Smallville, like Justice League, you say good because what they did was great. Oh, and it was hard too. Yes, come with it. People listen to this cat because you know what you're talking about. I go to conventions. I used to. I don't go to too many anymore. And, and they well, used you're to too say, busy working. That, yeah, man, I got two shows. But anyway, it's a subject for another day. <laughs> uh, I'll be on the panel and they'll say, uh, it was Smallville, Smallville panel, and they'll say, you know, John Jones, I love Smallville. I really do. But John Jones was never in Smallville. And neither Lois Lane was never in Smallville. Oh and I don't think that, 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 that. And I let him talk. And I go, listen, you started by saying you like the show. <laughs> right. You started by saying Big you like fan. Smallville. First time, long time. Right? And yeah. this person in the audience, same thing. Yeah. Big fan. And, and so I say, so let's just stay with that. And just understand that creators have to take their own cues from themselves. They have to create a vision that goes forward, that is unique, that is authentic to them. They cannot just regurgitate the same thing that's become before them. And when they take a chance, like in Smallville, bringing John Jones in or bringing Lois Lane up into Smallville, and it works so beautifully, stop complaining. Write your own show. Right. Do your own thing. But if you like it and you appreciate it, stop poking holes in it. Just appreciate that the vision isn't always going to be perfect. It can't be. And like you were saying before, it's to elicit a visceral response, good, hopefully, or bad, you know? And so you're getting your product. It's being fed to you in a unique way. Appreciate it. Uh, The list of of shows that, you know, you've done done so many things. You you mentioned uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. You were on Batman Brave and the Bold. You were on Wolverine and the X-Men. You were on Ultimate Spider-Man and Green Lantern, the animated series. I mean, the, it, it just goes on and on and on and on. Um, are you a Marvel or a DC person? Um, it's okay that you've done a lot of DC stuff, but you have dabbled in, in Marvel. And has the movies, has the Marvel Cinematic Universe changed your opinion of Marvel? Since you are a big-time, legit comic book person, have they been altered by the success of the films? It's a nuanced answer. First, when I was young, it was Marvel. Okay. The reason was because it was the first comic that really um, represented me. Uh, okay. Fantastic Four number 52, Black Panther. Yep. I was blown away. All right, still 12 cents. I have it in my, my I have it right now on my, my library. It's the one, the only comic book that's being presented is that book. <laughs> then DC came with John Stewart um a little later um and uh then mr terrific some other characters later on um but marvel was the first one where i really saw my image i was also a huge fantastic four fan and because it was fantastic four that that character was um premiering in i was just blown away i still have the two comic books that i bought when i was seven years old in a cleveland drugstore you know it's tales of suspense tales of suspense and journey into mystery with thor uh i have them to this day in my collection um, I'd gotten rid of none of them, not one of them. I and, just was uh, listening to a podcast of somebody who said they have these treasured things, but they never read them. Oh, I read every single one of them. No, 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 no. Now, like you wouldn't go down into to your 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 draw. Like, like I don't read these now. I've read every one of these, but I don't read them. Like I don't say, well, what am I going to do with it Saturday afternoon? You know, I'm going to. And and I think part of that is because there's so much new stuff out that. I, I can't keep up. I, I mean, it, people have asked me on social media, when are you guys going to review the Sandman? Give me 10 hours. I, I need 10 <laughs> hours to watch it. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm compiling now those um, the omnibuses, right? Yeah, Because yeah. I don't want to go through my originals yeah, and thumb, yeah. you know, I want to keep them all bagged sure. and boarded and alphabetized. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, you know, it's crazy. That. Yeah. It's so beautiful. My wife made me build a, a wall unit in my bedroom made me i had to or she's get rid of them or build a wall unit. so i built a beautiful wall unit but what i have these om, omnibuses so that if i do feel like reading avengers one through 50 i can just pick out one tome and i can go through it um i don't read a lot of new books anymore i don't have the time yeah. there are far too many um 
it's just a, my mind's awash with all that stuff. It's just a little bit too mind numbing right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm a staunch uh, lover of the classics. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because a big topic, you know, every time we hit a milestone episode, we talk about things that have really come about since this podcast started. One of those things is, is how do you evaluate what is a comic book fan? If I watch Stargirl, The Flash, uh, She-Hulk, Moon, Moon Knight, Doom Patrol, Titans, every, every episode of every one of those shows, but I haven't picked up a comic book in five years, am I a comic book fan? I don't when know. I say I, I it's not me yeah, personally. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the colloquial the I. collective, yeah. Yes. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think it makes you a comic book fan. I think it makes you a fan of comic book products. Mm-hmm. You know, I think comic book fans, and if you're out there, you know what I'm talking about, people. You walk into a comic book store, you look around, <laughs> you might have lists, might not. The thing that, oh, I got to have that. Wait a minute. There's three issues I don't have. I got to get those other two issues too. You know what I mean? If you're a comic book fan, you're walking in. You're, you're perusing. You're, you're, I don't know if that exists as much today. Right. It's, it's on phones. and doing the thing. Um, No, 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 dude. Here, you go to Golden Apple. Now that the pandemic's over, you go to freaking Golden Apple or you go to whatever comic book store is in your neighborhood. You walk in. If you're a comic book fan, you walk in. You look around. You see what the best buy. You see what they're recommending. You see the ones that you want. You, I need Spectre 7. You know? That's a comic book fan. Everybody else is just a lover of comic book products, in my opinion. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, let's talk about Doom Patrol. Um, did you agree did that... with that thought, Seth? He was like, okay, that's fair. I don't know. No, no, no. I, I, I do agree with that thought. <laughs> I, think, I think that what's changed is I feel like the, 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 the great comic book writers. All right. Well, you open Pandora's box. I'll go there. Sure. Told you that I, there's no way to do this fast. Um, what I have been fascinated by is the argument of Ed Brubaker. Ed Brubaker is the guy who created for Marvel, the winter soldier amongst other things. And Ed Brubaker is uh, annoyed that Marvel made billions of dollars on the winter soldier and he didn't get a piece. And because he was a work for hire. And the debate of that is not, uh, legal because he signed a contract and and that's the the rule. What the, the the argument is when you make a two billion dollars, could you throw this guy a a, a a token and show good faith to the creator of this character? He didn't create Bucky Barnes; he created the Winter Soldier. So you take that, and what you've seen is comic book creators are saying what we can do to expand our our worlds, our, our, our artistic freedoms is we want to stay in the genre, but we don't want to be with Marvel or DC. And what you get is invincible. You get the umbrella Academy, the boys, like the boys is a justice league story that can't have the justice league. Right. Right. Like they would love to create a show where like they just said, you know what? I have this idea for a show. I'm not taking this to Warner Brothers so they can own it. I'm creating it myself. Mm-hmm. So what I've been fascinated by is not today's comic books. Like, I don't know what's happening in a Superman ongoing or a, or a Batman ongoing. I don't know about those anymore. What I'm fascinated by is how Robert Kirkman took Invincible and said, I want to do a Young Justice, but I don't want it to be Superboy. Mm-hmm. And I don't want it to be, you know, you know what I mean? He went and created his own thing. So what's your thought on the idea that now the genre has expanded a hundredfold because now you get the Sandman on Netflix and you get Umbrella Academy, which is the X-Men. That's what Umbrella Academy is. No, I I get it. But they made it their own. No, I get it. And I think that uh, much to their credit, you're talking about image, basically. Image image comics uh, uh, broke away from the whole... Marvel DC uh, uh, business model because of what you're saying. They, they were not able to, con- to keep their IP. So they created image. Um, I know a lot of those guys. I was there the first night at uh, uh, Golden Apple again, where Rob Liefeld was doing his. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I was there. There's pictures of us together. Um, and he's signing a, a book for me. And I have a ton of his stuff from that night because I was trying to get my son involved in comics at that time and that was happening it was a super cool event and i was like yeah i'm going 
I love what those cats did. I do not like when creators like a Siegel and Schuster create this amazing iconic character and they are gypped because the corporate structure can do that. Right. Not that they should, but that they can. And um, I love people like Image and, and uh, the Mark Silvestri's of the world. And I mean, I mean, I mean, it's a bunch of folks that, that run Image and I love them. Uh, Will Sportaccio and, or who started Image. No, I, but I love what you're saying. And I think that that's what has to happen. I think Marvel and DC have to change their ways. I mean, it's antiquated. You're, you're, you're alienated, alienating amazing creators. Ed Brubaker's amazing um, because of this antiquated business model. And let's share the wealth. There's so much of well, it. But the argument is, is that nowadays the comic books are just placeholders to hold the IP so that you can make the TV shows and the movies and the audio podcasts and drama things and, you know, all these different things. And that in reality, you know, back in, let's just say the 70s, 80s and 90s, let's let's use the 90s since you brought up image, use the 90s and say that was a golden era for comics. But now all those comic creators went on to do other things. Ron Mars came on this show years ago. He created Green uh, Kyle Rayner. Mm -hmm. He he created Kyle Rayner. Their HBO is coming out, or HBO Max, whatever it's called, uh, is coming out with a Green Lantern show. He's begging it to have a Green Lantern in it. He says because Warner, this is prior to Warner Brothers Discovery, mm -hmm. but he says, but Warner was the one that always took care of their guys. They would take care of the comic book creators. So he's like, I hope Kyle Rayner's in that show. Right. Yeah. You well, shouldn't have to live like that. No, you shouldn't. Uh, but, you know, it's not the only business that operates that way, unfortunately. Oh, no, I, I mean, agreed. agreed. Look, that, the, you know, it's a first world problem. There's no secret. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. But, the, but back to comic book collecting, you're still going to collect the book itself. If you're a collector, you need, right. you need the pulp. You need the, the freaking pages in your hand. That the um, IP has been manipulated or perverted in, in the way that it is, is something that right. the fans, we, we can't, we can't weigh in on that. You know, that's not our, our purview. So, so I still collect my books and I love my Stan Lee and I love my Carmen Infantino, Infant, Infante. And, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, I don't know. The dollar hurts a lot of things. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, I understand. The dollar hurts a lot of stuff. I understand. I understand. Um, so quickly on Doom Patrol, what's your thought on Doom Patrol? Um, I found it fascinating that they met the Titans, but now they're on their own world. thought that was interesting. I feel like um, legalized marijuana helps me watch uh, Doom Patrol. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I, I but I'm but the you know, this is another one of those shows. It's very like Umbrella Academy in that the character arcs are more important than the overall plot. Yeah, because the overall plot is one thing, but you play a uh, uh, cyborg's dad, Silas, and that's a great role. It, it, I mean, it's, you're nailing that, and you with that kid looks great. Oh, dude, thank you. Oh, bro, I, I don't have to I, kiss your ass. You're already on the show. I just love that. Uh, I love Silas. I love I love uh, Victor Stone, and I love Javan Wade, who plays him. Yes. Um, we met during the doing the show, and it's a very interesting relationship. I mean, it's a dysfunctional father son relationship. Uh, season four, we kind of smooth some of that stuff out, but you'll see. Um, and I'm not that guy as a dad. I'm a really warm and fuzzy, cuddly, right. comfortable, comfortable guy. And I tell every director, I said, "Don't let that come out." <laughs> don't let that part don't let that side of look him up it can't use that um <laughs> silas um so we javan and i work very hard at making that relationship as authentic as we can and not to act just to be with each other in the moment on set we do we do zoom rehearsals because we know when we get to set it's so fast yeah 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 so we try to rehearse the night before that's not a COVID thing. That's a convenience thing. It's a convenience thing. It's right. it's because it runs so fast. I mean, they're shooting two episodes at one time and one camera crew's here, another camera crew's there. One director's here, another director's there. And you might do two episodes at the same time. Um, so you have to really have your your, your stuff down. And, um, and I do, um, and he does. So we're really, really, really fortunate to have each other. I'm happy that they brought um, Cyborg into the Doom Patrol proceedings because most people would not know the doom the doomies uh they know cyborg from right justice league they either movies, know him from the from the justice league movie or from teen titans, teen the titans cartoon. yeah 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 
So they, I think they the did great that. Carrie Payton, who we're trying to get on this. Carrie show. Payton's fabulous. He's now doing uh, Walking Dead, right? He's doing that too. Huh. Um, yeah, he's he's hauled that character down for years, decades. Yep. Yep. Uh, so yeah, uh, and what and I love Carrie Payton's doing... in Young Justice, and every once in a while you'll be in the like you're you're engrossed in Young Justice, and then all of a sudden you hear uh, Black Lightning, and you're like, wait a minute, that's Carrie Payton. You can uh -huh. like you can hear it. Yeah, no, he's there. He he's all up in it, and he's wonderful as as uh, as Aqualad. You know, yeah. Oh, um, Aqualad too, right? Yeah, he's fabulous. Uh, but Doom Patrol for me is one of the best shows I've ever worked on. Really, top to bottom. Budget. They spare no expense on that show. It looks beautiful. I watch. I've seen the opening credits for four seasons, three seasons now, soon to be four. I watch them every single time because they're so beautiful. Yeah. The music is so beautiful, and then as I watch the opening credits, oh, oh, that's that's Robot Man. Oh, oh, that that has to do with Crazy Jane. Oh, that. Every little bit of the opening credits oh, indicates she is character. so great. Oh, Diane Guerrero's Diane Guerrero is April Bowlby, Riley Shanahan. I mean, it's just Matthew Zuck who plays uh, Negative Man, just fantastic. And so are the people, the real people like Brendan Fraser and, yeah. and Matt Boma, fabulous individuals. So, best scripts, some of the best scripts I've ever read. Huh. Scares, scares the shit out of me. Uh, yeah. I'm like, what, what the hell are they going to do to these people this week? <laughs> it's um, a crazy show. Scares me. Um, it's wild. It's just, it's wild. Yes, yes, yes. What box? There is no box this, with this show. And uh, ultimately, this show is about personal identification. Who are you? Yeah. Why are you? None of them have powers that they would have chosen to get the way they got them. Yeah. They lament the fact that they're together and they have to save the world every so often. They can't stand it because they don't want to be that kind of team. So you're, 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 you're seeing all these challenges in the show. Nothing's easy. For these people and i love it i think it's great drama you brought up something that uh, something that i wanted to to ask you about which is this new model it's kind of a bbc model uh but it really has taken over these these streaming ser uh, services where it's eight to ten episodes instead of 22 but highly produced episodes like cinematic quality i mean anybody watches stranger things each episode feels like a feature film like you you can't watch that on your phone you have to watch that on a big screen um doom patrol fits that model and i think what has happened it's a incredible challenge for the fine folks that are working on the flash the mm -hmm. cw flash because when they're asked to do 20 and they take one arc and have to stretch it over 20 episodes it shows the flash never looks cheap and i've said that to eric wallace who, who's the showrunner i've said it's never that it looks cheap. It just looks pedestrian. Mm. And these shows like Doom Patrol, like um, uh, the new She-Hulk that's on now, like they are sparing no expense and it shows. Absolutely does. I do another show called Bosch Legacy for uh, Animal uh -huh, Freebie. Yeah. <clears throat> and that show was beautiful. I mean, yeah. just the cinematog cinematography is, is insane. And the scripts are unbelievable. Michael Connolly, who's writing it, and, and Titus Welliver, who's the star, he's written a couple of episodes as well. The directors are top notch. Uh, every, every, I, I was shooting uh, scenes in P. Diddy's office. I mean, literally, Puff Daddy's office on Sunset Boulevard was our lo location. My particular office in the show was a 39th floor, uh, beautiful 270 degree view of Los Angeles. So you're right. Maybe it is because they're only doing half, what we would call half seasons back yeah, in the yeah. day. And so you can put double the price tag on the half a season. Yeah. And so you're getting incredible uh, production value. Uh, but yeah, dude, this, I love streaming because not only is the product better as an audience, but for an actor, there's far more product for me to, to apply my, my it's uh, media. To. It, it like each show is, is, it's just, it, they're deeper and they're, they're, they're the, each episode is such better produced. I've only seen a couple of episodes of Sandman, but you can see the effort that mm. has gone into this. It's it's gorgeous. It's, it's a new it's, day. It's absolutely gorgeous. Is Cheers as much fun in person as it looked like? Yes. It looked like they are having <sighs> the absolute greatest time. But it just seems like just being there would be so much fun. Like I wouldn't want to do anything on the show. I just want to be invisible. <laughs> just hang out and just hang out with those guys. Oh, so good. So a, a good story about that. I was doing a show called Marblehead Manor way back in the day, right when Cheers started on Paramount's lot. And I come out, I'm going to work and I see George Went and uh, um, Sam, uh, Ted, Danson, Ted Danson and um, 
Shelly Long. Is that yes, who Shelly Long. Long. Yep. All sitting on the steps, just hanging out, talking about how fun it is to do their show. And I walk in like, hey, everybody. They go, hey, how's it going? It's cool. It looked so, it was their first <laughs> season. They looked so cool. They looked like they're having the best time. And oh then I watched God. the show and I'm like, they just, they, they just took what that energy was and brought it to the stage. Yep. No acting oh. is so wonderful. I had a great time. And doing when they got dramatic, it mattered because they never did. And when they did, it was just like, holy moly. Like that's yeah. something big. Uh, when, uh, when uh, Eddie Lebeck dies oh. and Carla sings, Oh Canada, I go to hockey games all the time oh. with my daughter and whenever they do, they're playing a Canadian team and they play that national anthem. All I think about is Jay Thomas and Eddie LeBeck and Carla mourning her hockey goalie mm. <laughs> husband that mm. died playing hockey. Well, their tribute to coach when coach. You know, oh, that was another one. Back. Yes. I mean, that's because again, is this a theme, Seth? It's like Jim Burroughs, yep. the writing the actors right the love of it the situation it's yeah. all just love it's love man you bring love to a set i remember when my dad was doing mission impossible and he would say it's like a family it's like a family and then i'd go and it was like a freaking family that's they so cool. loved it watched out for each other they cared for each other uh, I, that's how i was brought up so it's no mystery why i do what i do today all right i got i have to end with seinfeld so i have one more and this is totally selfish this is a selfish, selfish, but it's my podcast and it's my 300th episode. Tell me something cool about Knight Rider and just tell me that that car, Knight Rider captivated my childhood. It was fascinating. What was the experience like? I was thrilled. I, I was like you. I love Knight Rider. Oh and, I, and, and so David Hasselhoff had done The Young and the Restless. I had been doing ah. the young and the restless so he was a big star on that so it was like a little like six degrees thing when i got the job my first day i'm working with him i'm telling you he could have been sweeter cooler nicer he invited me to the super bowl party at his house that weekend i just met the cat and i just i came i said to my wife i said you want to go to a super bowl party this sunday she goes yeah we're going to one already i'm like wait no we got to go to david Hasselhoff's one. she goes no we got to go to this other one but i'm just here to tell you he invited me to a Super Bowl party the very first day I met him. <laughs> Couldn't have been cooler, but you know he was a great scene partner. Tall as hell, that cat yeah. is tall, and uh, you know that back in his day, man, that cat was great looking, and <laughs> I mean, still to this day. But back in well, his Wilt, Wilt prime, Knight reconstructed the face to look like David Hasselhoff. Guy had his face now. blown off. That he did, right? He did. So he was he had it reconstructed. We could rebuild him, and they did. And he looked like David Hasselhoff, and he's much better for it. But yeah, David was a killer dude. Listen, guys like David, Tom Welling, when they get it right, when they understand their blessing, there's no better people to be around. Oh, cool. You know, because they make the magic even more magical. You know, you're like, I love this thing, and now I love it even more because I got a foxhole partner. I got a guy who gets it, making a ton of money, but he's so cool, so welcoming, so good to everybody on set. Hey, man, I, great. those are my guys. Um, you've been asked this 3,000 times. I could not do any research uh, for the podcast without seeing it. Um, even I teased it on Twitter, and people knew exactly who I was talking about. Um, so I apologize for the repetitiveness, and I'd like to think our conversation was really original. However... <laughs> Uh, Jackie Childs and what a great call not starting the podcast uh, with, with, with Jackie Childs is that what you get called on the most by a lot I mean you've been in so many things is Jackie Childs the thing that people connect you to the, the most still yeah. um, and I would imagine a whole new audience has seen that show now because it's on Netflix and I would say there's another generation that is getting exposed uh, to the brilliance that 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 is Seinfeld. And I mean, that role, I, like I said, I don't know what to ask you because I've, I've seen every interview you did. I watched the Blu-rays when you when you talked about, you know, getting into character and the Johnny Cochran connection and the, the, the whole thing. I, I'm doing this interview by myself. What? Tell me about Seinfeld. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm ready. I'm ready to jump in anytime. So I'm ready to go. Uh... <laughs> I know how to do these. <laughs> well, I know you too. You're, you're, you're a journalist. You got you got it going. Jackie's a force of nature. I, 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 that's the way I describe him. For an actor to have a character once in their life that is really, you just kind of slip into their skin and 
let him drive, you know, I don't have to do much, right. uh, is a blessing. And that's what Jackie is for me. Coffee was too hot. Um, shoot, man, this is such, his, his, his crazy logic is what makes him so brilliant. But um, the, I have now a, a series of commercials that I'm doing for Snyder's of Hanover pretzel pieces as Jackie. And oh, no is, way. Yeah, he's their spokesperson. Uh, have a year contract. We've already done a bunch of network sh- uh, commercials and oh, streaming commercials. He's everywhere now. He's yeah, yeah. back, baby. And um, Childs lives. And he keeps the gift that keeps on giving. And, and I just love playing him. Um, what, what can I tell you? Here's probably something that not too many people have heard. I think Jackie was a Larry David construct. Uh-huh. And Larry David was the one who really, like, that's the character that sure. I created because when I was doing the last episode and I wasn't able to be there because I was doing something else, Larry read my, my lines at the table read. Wouldn't mm. let anybody do it. No one. When mm. I showed up my, my first day of rehearsal, I have a picture of Larry off in the wings watching me rehearse. And he's just like, <laughs> so, happy. Um, so I think Larry was the driving force behind Jackie and, and, uh, I was just fortunate enough to have known Johnny to have been watching that trial the entire Oh, really? Week. Well, oh, yeah, everybody watched. Same, yeah, yeah. Same barbershop together, Johnny Cochran and I. So oh, I knew wow. him personally. Um, and, 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 and there's a lot of my father in Jackie. My dad is a big boy, was a big, boisterous, blustery, loud cat. And uh, so I threw a lot of my dad into Jackie, you know. So that's great. Last question. And for 300 episodes, we, we asked this a lot uh, social media. How do you feel about it? How do you, uh, do you embrace it? Do you ignore it? It's uh, it can be garbage. It can be wonderful. It can be whether re- very re- re- rewarding. Uh, and how can people who are listening to this, how can they say, Hey, I heard you on this podcast. I loved your work. You know, how can they, how can they find you? I'm on, I'm on uh, at the Phil Morris is everywhere on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, <clears throat> it's double edged sword. It is a double edged sword. My friend, um, it can help as much as it can hurt and vice versa. Uh, you have to be cautious. You have to have your head on a swivel. People are not always out for your best interests. They, um, they want to take advantage of people. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a celebrity or not. Uh, and that's the way they can get at you. So I, I caution people to really be careful about what you post and what you say and who you accept and who you DM and blah, 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 blah. Um, it's beneficial because it does reach more people than I can reach personally. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's a good thing. Um, I lately have been quite vocal about some of the things that are happening in our society. And every so often people are like, oh, you know, it could hurt your career. You know, I, you know, I really don't care. I'm a, I'm a human being and I have just as much right to say what I say and feel what I feel. And I have a platform. So that's the way it is. Uh, but I do caution people to use their to use their power wisely, right? With great power comes great responsibility, and so I try to be as responsible as I can and not spew anything that is hateful or negative or hurt hurtful to any anybody. Um, if I can, if I'm angry about something, I let it out, uh, and I find it to be refreshing and honest and um, detoxifying sometimes to let people know how I feel because I I feel my moral compass is pointed in a good direction. And I'd like to share that with the world. And I think we need more of that in the world. So I use my platform wisely, hopefully. Um, but I am wary of uh, the downside of that. And I think we all should be. Well, I, I, I say this with the uh, ultimate gratitude, but I do tell uh, our listeners, if there's anything that you heard in this today's episode that you have an issue with, uh, do me a favor, reach out to Phil directly and leave me the hell out of it. <laughs> Happy to be the, the filter and the buffer. Uh, Mr. Morris, it has been an honor to have you on the show. Seriously, uh, exceeded everything. I, 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 hope, I hope we did your career justice uh, for the, I mean, I think we barely covered 5% of everything that you've done. Well, so we'll have to talk again. We'll have to do it again. And, and I look forward to, to that day. Well, you already promised 400. So yeah, we're, we're I guess we'll talk in two years. You'll get there so. in two weeks, the way you so. crank these out. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Man. Thank you, brother. Anytime. I appreciate you. Good luck with everything. That is Phil Morris. And again, thank you so much for, for all the support over 300 episodes. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about Stargirl, uh, season three on DC. Yvette Monreal plays Wildcat. And we'll talk to her uh, next week right here on the podcast. 
300 episodes. It's hard to believe that we did those. Hope you've enjoyed them all, or at least some of them. The people who have been a part of this throughout the 300 episodes, from the beginning, where there were no listeners, to when Zack Snyder came on on episode 28 and it went viral, people started to dig the podcast. And sure, guests are great, the reviews are fun, we love doing this podcast. I'm going to put out an episode each and every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.